0: I'll take another one. Hello Yeah. Okay, that's correct. I'm gonna switch it out for this one. I think it's not folded. Can definitely tell the mic's on.
1: Good morning. Good to see you all here on this beautiful morning. Isn't it beautiful outside? Laura and I actually went for a little walk up the hill this morning. Just enjoyed the beauty of it. And uh, I was just telling Pastor, it reminds me of what our Savior's done for us when we see the white. The hymn writer said, We're washed white as snow. Let's look at our announcements. Again offerings in the uh, offering box I'll remind you now and later um special offering today for Jenny Ziegler I see andrea's number there days of praise booklets are here acts and facts winter blast coming up soon february twenty sixth through twenty eighth on christian leadership that's Giles heron and bill keiger and the cost is ten dollars per person and uh any questions about that? See, Andrea, and she'll be happy to help with that. So that's what I see. Anything else? So last week I was telling you about the fall open method of discerning God's will for your life. And I want to be clear, don't do that. <laughs> that, that came from Dr. Sproul. And um, the, the rest of the story is he, um, Dr. Sproul um, had commented a couple of times that one of the most common questions that he was asked in his ministry was, how do I discern God's will for my life? And I thought he had a pretty good answer. He said, first, obey the commands of this book, and then do what you want to do. Because if you're in the book, And you're obeying Christ's commands, you'll be led by the Spirit. And he said, Butcher, baker, candlestick maker, doesn't matter if you're following this. So I thought that was good advice. Because sometimes we get hung up on forks in the road, don't we? So, Amen. Our scripture for meditation this morning is taken from Acts, the second chapter. Let's read verses 22 through 36. 1683 in the Pew Bible. Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless us as we meet together. Phil, would you open for us today?
2: Father, we ask that you intercede in the lives of our loved ones, other family members, acquaintances and friends.
3: your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number one. Number one in the brown. <clears throat> I think this one was someone's choir book because there's enough scribbling it that I can't read the words, so
1: we're going to trade
3: There's the words. Okay, number one. Number sixty
4: seven.
3: <clears throat> Number sixty seven in the brown. Six seven. Do you have a reason for this hymn this morning? Um
1: no, no, I just I just love this love.
3: I love it as well.
1: Scripture reading this morning is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and we'll be reading verses 13 through 20.
4: When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ.
1: yeah we're going to uh, have a couple of guys come up and uh, we're going to pass the offering plates for the special offering for Jenny Ziegler. So a couple of volunteers here. plates are here. Let's ask the Lord to bless and multiply this offering. Our Lord we're thankful that we can have opportunity to give. Um, we would ask that um, these monies would uh, be helpful, and that we would um, be blessed for having uh, a part. We are thankful for this family and their uh, witness uh, to Christ uh, through their hardship, and we would uh, ask again that you would bless and m- multiply this gift in Jesus name amen. Thank you.
3: Stand back up again as we turn to number 145 in the red hymnal. 145. Do we know this? Okay. Just had to check if I knew this or not. (laughs) He says I do. So 145 in the red.
0: Our scripture text this morning is Matthew 16, verses 13 and following. In our series on the Passion of Christ, we're looking at some of the questions raised by Mel Gibson's film. The question we considered last week was, why did Jesus come? Which implies that he existed in another realm and in another state before he came. Simply put, the birth of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus. Well, today we come to another question alluded to last week, but more definitive today, and that is the question who was Jesus? The world has been arguing about the answer to this question for centuries, and the answers given are about as diverse as the people giving them. People of Oriental or Eastern culture simply conclude that Jesus was a holy man of some sort who, like their founders, began a new religion. So they list him along with Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad and so on. Now they may view him as a prophet. They may include him among their own. Islam does that. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness has a place for Jesus in their religions. But if there is any hint of thinking of Jesus as divine... He is only viewed as such in the plethora of multi-god religions such as Hinduism, which has over 5,000 deities. So that's not too great, is it? They don't have a special place for Christ. They just stick him in there with the other 5,000 and that's how they view him. In our Western culture, which is the product of Judeo-Christian philosophy, the unbelieving of our society viewed Jesus as a good man, perhaps the best man who ever lived, an exemplary man, a model man by whom all of us should pattern our own lives. Some would go further. They would say that Jesus was a prophet of God, and as such, he spoke the words of God. He taught a message given to him by God. They would affirm that his words are not to be taken lightly, that all men ought to live by the principles of righteousness set down by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. So we have all these diverse opinions of who Jesus was. What is more interesting, however, is that when we come to the Bible itself, and the histories of the New Testament era in which Jesus lived, we discover diversity and confusion on Jesus' identity as well. It seems that wherever Jesus went, his identity was always being questioned. Who is this man? From where did he come? Why does he keep talking about God... As his personal father. Who does that? That's blasphemous. Who does he think he is? Well others. Especially of Jesus own hometown. Assumed that they knew. All there was to know. About Jesus. They knew his parents. His brothers. His sisters. His vocational trade. Where he lived, how long he had lived there. They made these assumptions upon fragmented facts which allowed them to fill in their own blanks. This is no way to arrive at the truth, however. By the time of Matthew 16, Jesus was two years into his ministry of preaching the good news of salvation, healing the sick, teaching the people. He had had several run-ins with the Pharisees and he had fed the 5,000 and on another occasion 4,000 with but a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Jesus knew there was confusion about among the people about his identity, so instead of skirting the issue, he confronted it head-on with his disciples. Who was Jesus? Verse 13 says. When he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. That's north of the Sea of Galilee by the way. He asked his disciples. Who do people say the son of man is? I like this. He doesn't skirt the issue. just He brings it up. I mean, they're thinking things. They're trying to figure out things. So he just lays it on the table. Well, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man, by the way, is the title Jesus takes to himself. It's used 81 times and is never used by anyone else. The title says something about The humanity of Jesus as the last Adam, the last man who represents the human race before God. But when one looks at the same title in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it reads, In a way that indicates that the Son of Man is a divine name prophesied of that one from heaven who would come in the end times. Daniel writes, In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That will not pass away. And its kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So whoever this son of man is that Daniel sees. It's obvious that he is divine because he is worshipped. And he has such powers that all nations come under his reign. And there's no end to his dominion. He rules over all. Nor is there any chance that his kingdom will be overthrown. It is perpetual. It goes on. So Jesus then takes a title from the Old Testament which indicates his deity. And yet the people of his day miss this in their evaluation. Verse 14 of our text. Some thought of Jesus as John the Baptist. Others said, no, no, no. He is Elijah. Still others said, he was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, these were all prophets of God and holy men in their teaching and in their living. So Jesus was viewed by the people in this regard as well. He's a holy man. He's a prophet. I think that's good as far as it goes. They saw more in him than the Pharisees did or the people of the day. I dare say that many Americans are stuck right here as well. They're stuck here. They will concede that Jesus was a righteous man. That he was a prophet of God. That he lived a holy life. But beyond this, they cannot and will not go. We say, well, can't we just well then can't we just leave it there? Isn't that good enough? He was a holy man, he was a prophet. Do we have to say any more or claim something else for Jesus? Well, it's his own countrymen acknowledge only his humanity. Why can't we just do that? Why must we pursue the idea that Jesus was divine? Well, the identity of Jesus must be pursued because if there is more to discover, we do not have the whole truth until the discovery. What is more, if the end of the investigation concludes that Jesus was only a man and nothing more, well, then you and I and all of humanity are doomed under the judgment of God. There is no Savior, no payment for our sins, no forgiveness for us, no victory over death, just judgment. Nonetheless, we are not only We're not out, rather, to fabricate the facts as so many in our day do. If we will go where the Bible leads us, we will discover who Jesus was without prejudicial investigation on our own part. I want you to observe that Jesus himself did not leave off the investigation with the evaluation of the people. He goes on to say to his inner circle of disciples, But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Yeah, I I know what the people think about me, that I'm a prophet, a good man, or what on. But what do you say about me? Verse 15. Basically saying, forget the evaluation of the people who think they know me, but they don't. I want to know what you guys think of me. You who have been with me for about two years, have heard my preaching, have witnessed all the miracles that I have performed, what do you say? And Peter, the spokesman of the group, answered, You are the Christ, that's the Greek form of Messiah, which is the Hebrew word. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Verse 16. To which Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And verse 20 says, He warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I want you to observe, Jesus did not dismiss Peter's appraisal. He didn't say, Ah, Peter, I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. I'm only a man. Second, Jesus did not attribute Peter's confession to his own intellect or his own ability. It wasn't because Peter was smarter than the rest of the gang that he figured Jesus out. No. His true confession is due to the fact that God the Father had revealed such truth to him. We've already seen that men in and of themselves never quite conclude that Jesus is God's son, the best man, aspiring to God, yes, a prophet, yes. But even here, with Peter's confession attributed to the revelation of God, men stand ready to dismiss Peter's assessment. They will say, well, you know, Peter was wrong. Well, Jesus called him blessed because of his insight. The skeptics suggest that Jesus never claimed deity for himself. They say that was something his disciples thought up and taught. Is that what you think? Well, let's look at the claims. Let's look at the proofs of Jesus' deity. For one, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, which foretell of the coming of a spiritual Savior. We've already noted one of these in the prediction of Daniel, of one coming who would be called the Son of Man and would exhibit authority, glory, sovereign power. In a moment, we're going to look at some displays of these abilities. Some will say, oh yeah, but maybe Jesus was just a good student of Old Testament history. And so he read it in Daniel and he decided to assume the title Son of Man without any warrant to do so. I mean, couldn't anyone familiar with the Old Testament prophecies do this? Well, to some degree they could. In fact, Jesus himself predicted that in the end of the age charlatans will be everywhere. Let me read it for you. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, here's the Messiah, or there he is, over there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time, Matthew 24, verse 23 and following. The bogus religious leaders are everywhere, claiming to be something they are not. Claiming deity. Kevin Copeland says, God is not simply in me. I am God. We are all gods. I'll tell you what that is. That's utter blasphemy. So what makes Jesus different? The prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' life are beyond human manipulation. That's number one. Let me say it again. The prophecies concerning fulfilled in Jesus' life are beyond mu- human manipulation. What do I mean? Well, take, for example, his birthplace. Micah writes, Micah the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old, from ancient times. Micah 5, verse 2. And we read of Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Matthew 2, verse 1. What is more, that same text says that Magi of the East came inquiring, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And when Herod questioned the religious teachers of his day where the Messiah was to be born, they immediately answered, Bethlehem. And they cited Micah 5-2 as the prophecy predicting it. Now, think about this. No mere man can, mani- can manipulate the place of his birth to agree with a prophecy. But God can, and God does. Jesus was not a native of Bethlehem. His earthly parents lived in Nazareth, a town to the north of Galilee. Why were they then in Bethlehem? Luke 2, verse 1. And a decree of Caesar Augustus ordered all Jews to return to their tribal homestead to register for a census. That's why they were there. They were of the tribe of Judah, Bethlehem. Again, while in Bethlehem and with Jesus about two years old, Herod believed the Magi And he sent his troops into Bethlehem to slaughter all the male children two years old and younger. So Herod didn't poo-poo this prophecy. He took it very seriously. and He was going to do something about it. But Jesus escaped the bloodbath because in a dream in the night, God warned Joseph, get up, get up. Take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt. Now, there were lots of places they could hide. Why Egypt? Well, because God had said through the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea 11, verse 1. Tell me that a humble carpenter like Joseph who deliberately chose to flee to a country 200 miles away through terrible desert, through heat, when there were a dozen other places to go, why would he do that? He went by God's command, that's why, and God was fulfilling prophecy with regard to his son. Brethren, there are more than 200 other such prophecies. Let me suggest a few the torture of jesus flogging to the point where jesus was unrecognizable isaiah 52 verse 13 also isaiah 53 the whole chapter his bones being out of joint in the crucifixion psalm 22:14 his words from the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me psalm 22 verse 11 his unquenchable thirst and the giving of vinegar to him by the soldiers, Psalm sixty nine twenty one, the hurling of insults by the mockers of the cross, Psalm twenty two, verse seven. Yet Jesus never answered back, Isaiah fifty three, verse seven. The breaking of the legs of the crucified thieves to hasten their death, but not the breaking of Jesus' legs, Psalm thirty four twenty. Choosing rather to pierce his side with a spear, Zechariah twelve verse ten. All of these and hundreds more prophecies which no man could or would want to manipulate concerning his own death. Jesus was God's son fulfilling God's prophecies concerning him. That's number one. Secondly, Jesus taught the word of God with a unique authority. A unique authority. Even at the age of 12, when he visited Jerusalem with his parents, they found him in the temple talking, asking questions of the professors. And Luke writes in his gospel, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. Well, of course, his deity is shining through. The Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, contains the Christian manifesto for life, for living. And there's nothing comparable to it in all of the religious literature, including the Old Testament law. No religion, no prophet, no holy man, no guru, no spiritist, no self-acclaimed Messiah has ever bested the morality and ethical standard of this teaching because it comes from the mouth of the Son of God. And when Jesus finished speaking, the evaluation of the listeners was this. The crowds, I'm reading scripture, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. I asked the question, why why the comparison between Jesus' teaching and that of other religious teachers among them. Well, it is because the teachers of the law taught like I teach, that is, borrowing from other writers, borrowing other words, teaching only what I myself have learned through personal study of God's word or men's explanations thereof in their books. But Jesus spoke with a unique authority a divine authority, even daring to stack up his teaching in juxtaposition to that of Moses. Let me give it to you. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That's Exodus 20, verse 14. That's the teaching of Moses. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, who." That anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 27. He's taking on Moses. Moses taught you this, and it's good as far as it goes. But I'm telling you this. Adultery is more than the committed act. Well, wait a minute. Who does Jesus think he is that he can take on Moses, the greatest prophet of Israel's history, and dare to suggest a higher standard of morality? Well, he thinks, may I say he knows, he's the Son of God. When the religious leaders sent policemen to arrest Jesus, they returned empty-handed. Oh, and that made, <laughs> that made the religious leaders very angry. Why, why didn't you bring him? We sent you to arrest him. You come back empty-handed. What's going on here? Their reasoning was this. No one ever spoke the way this man does. John 7 verse 46. What are they saying? They're saying Jesus taught the word of God speaking as the son of God. That's a unique authority. This is found in no other person. He's not speaking simply as a prophet. He's speaking with this unique authority. He's thinking, he's speaking as though he thinks he's the son of God. Yeah, that's very true. The soldier said no one ever spoke the way this man does. Third, Jesus did miraculous signs which only God can do. You remember them, water to wine, the healing of the man born blind, of the lepers, the deaf, the dumb, the woman with an incurable hemorrhage, raising of the dead, as in the case of Lazarus, exorcism from demons from the possessed man, feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14, walking on the water, Matthew 14, feeding of the 4,000, Matthew 15. Peter writes, we were eyewitnesses of his Majesty, Second Peter 1, New Testament is a credible documentation of the miracles of Christ, corroborated by multiple writers, writing at different times, at different places, but all of them unanimous in what they saw and what they experienced. Jesus said to his skeptics, I have shown you many miracles from the Father. Do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. But if I do it, even though you don't believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. John 10, verse 31 and following. And the last one is also important. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. There are preachers that say Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. But oh yes, he did. John 10 verse 31, after declaring that he had done many miracles before the eyes of his skeptics, Jesus asked, for which of these do you stone me? They were getting ready to stone him. They respond. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claims to be the Son of God. To which he responded, What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son. Boy, brethren, that's as clear as you can get it, right? And people say, well, no, Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. It's, that's just something the disciples labeled him with. Oh, there it is, John 10, verse 31. I am God's son. So get it down in your heart. It wasn't the disciples who claimed deity for Jesus. It was Jesus himself who said, I am God's son. Believe it or deny it, but you can't change history. Who was Jesus? He fulfilled the prophecies. He gave the divine teaching, the supernatural miracles, and his own claims say that he was God's son. So I asked the second question, why is Jesus' deity important to you and me? And the answer is because all of us, without exception, will be either judged or re- rescued by this Jesus. That's why. I can talk about God all you want. You can be very religious in your beliefs. But it's the person of Jesus you will have to answer to in the day of judgment. So where do you get that? How about Jesus' own words? Let me read them for you. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, that's our society, by the way, Does not honor the Father who sent him. John 5, verse 22. Even more pointed, 1 John 2, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Oh, and Paul put it this way We must all appear before the judgment. Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. But there is a more refreshing side to Jesus' deity and that is that he was God's son sent on a mission of rescue. Let me read it for you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John three seventeen and eighteen, brethren. Jesus' impeccable life, his divine teaching, his powerful miracles, are not intended to result in condemning skeptics, skeptics but in saving sinners. That's where they're there. Jesus put it this way. I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. John 12, verse 47. And within context, the thing that will judge sinners is Jesus' words, his teaching. The Father who sent me commanded me what to say, how to say it, and I know that his commands lead to eternal life Jesus lived the truth he taught the truth he told the truth to his skeptics saying you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and then he said I am the way I am the truth I am the life no one comes to the father except through me. How important is Jesus? Your spiritual life, your life in eternity depends upon him and his cross work and his resurrection. We will all stand before the resurrected living Lord of glory. Father, let's bless thy name this morning. So great a salvation. We are learning today, we are reminded today that you sent your Son to save us, to pay the cost of our sin, to redeem us from ourselves and our wickedness. And we thank you for this. We cannot downgrade Jesus to just a mere man or even a good man or even a prophet he was all those things but he was also God's son and you emptied heaven of the best to give him to us So that we might be redeemed. Well why Jesus? Because he's the only perfect man. The only sinless man. It's going to take a sinless man. To pay for the sins of others. He doesn't have to pay for his own sin. Because there is no his own sin. It's perfect life. As well. He always obeyed the law. Always was subservient to your will never once skirting issues never once straying from the path of righteousness the perfect man something we could never be in our sin but he makes us like the perfect man Jesus Paul talks about us being made in the image of Christ if we trust him, if we follow him, I pray, Lord, that that's the, that is the state of each one here today. But if not, that you will change hearts, grant faith, and draw whom you will to, your, to yourself, to your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory and our good. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity, the Red Hymnal, number 34. stand together as we sing Lord, we're thankful that the God of Abraham is our God as as well. Abraham, the father of the faithful, we, his children, by ancestry, following after that one whom you said had the heart of God in his thoughts. We thank you for great salvation, it reaches all the way back into the Old Testament and it then comes forward into the New Testament. The Gospel has been preached all these centuries. We're thankful that your Spirit has awakened our hearts to the truth. And we pray for any here today that's struggling with trying to know who God is. Show them God in the face of Jesus we pray. Amen.